0: log Talk radio
1: the keys is proud to announce the communicators airing Saturdays at 7 pm with your host brother Leroy from the heart of Harlem USA don't forget every Saturday. 7 p.m., The communicate with your host, Brother Leroy, on The Keys Minute.
2: blog talk radio brother leroy and we are thankful to the most high for blessing us with another communicator segment on the keys 107 network remember this show is archived and you can have your friends and relatives plug in to our archives on the keys 107 network go in look for the date and the subject matter and once again We're always thankful to the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth, another day to do some good deeds for ourselves and our family in order to pass on a good vibration not only for ourselves and our families but for the community and humanity at large. When we have a right attitude, that tends to rub off on other people. And if they have an abrasive attitude, while we have a good attitude, we sometimes are able to mellow out their negative attitude. When you do 10 good deeds a day, the universe returns it tenfold. Ten times ten is 100. So it's nothing like having 100 good pluses in your spiritual bank account when the time is needed for you or your children or your grandchildren to draw on a need, a miracle. And the communicator program features various guests Who have information that will enable us to live a better life And uh, that's a theme And then there are other times when we have guests Who will shed light on current events Or even historical events And thereby giving us a clearer understanding Of where we are and where we need to go Tonight, ladies and gentlemen We have the benefit of having First-hand witnesses to Libya, and Libya before the invasion by NATO and others, and NATO, uh, I'm sorry, before NATO invasion, during the NATO invasion, and after. And one of the sore points of the campaign against Gaddafi is the fact that many, many Africans, many black Libyans, have been slaughtered because of their ethnicity, because they are black. This information is not out in the public. But uh, there are some African newspapers like African World in New York, the African Sun in New York, rather, has uh, printed stories on this in some other vehicles, sometimes on the Internet, a lot of times on the Internet. But we have the benefit of having firsthand witnesses to this Evil deed that's going on right now And by the way ladies and gentlemen Genocide Whether it's practiced in Macedonia And Yugoslavia When that happened Or genocide whether it's in Rwanda Genocide in Cambodia Genocide anywhere Is an evil deed and Should be challenged By all of us in the court of uh, Human rights If we can't do anything about it We should always uh, at least have our Congress or senators let them know that we know something is going wrong and that they should take a stand against it wherever it might occur. Without further ado, we have a husband and wife, Jimmy and Joan, on the line, and they will uh, begin their story about Libya. First of all, Jimmy and Joan, thank you very much for joining us on the Keys 107 Network. Thank you,
0: uh, Dr. Leroy. Thank you so much for having us.
3: We thank you and your audience for listening to our gripping story. And um, the thing I'd like to do, if it's okay, I'd like to first of all address the the genocide in Libya, and then we'll go back and we'll tell your audience and you about about what credentials we have to to pass this information and everything on to you. If that works for you, I'll start.
2: That works, and thank you very much. Please proceed.
3: Okay. First of all, Libya was 30% black, and uh, it was the most colorblind country in the world. You went into any family, and you will see beige all the way to the darkest skin possible, men, women, and children. They were just absolutely colorblind, and that's one of the things we liked about Libya best. Then um, along comes the decided destruction of Libya, and within the first few days, uh, we saw this terrible... Uh, uh, degradation of the dark-skinned people there. If if they captured a bunch of Libyan soldiers, the ones that were lighter-skinned, they'd shoot them in the back of the head. The darker-skinned people, they'd chop them up. They'd cut their heads off, they'd dismember them, and then they'd burn them, and they would parade around the the areas with their dismembered bodies. And this this was a sustained effort. And uh, there was a decree made by these radical, I'm going to call them al-Qaeda. They have many, many names, but these are these psychopathic, murdering terrorists that have no respect for for human beings or human dignity, and they are absolutely racist. And they made a decree that they were going to exterminate all these black mercenaries that Gaddafi supposedly brought in from the surrounding countries. And that just wasn't true. The, the, Libya was at least 30% black. Those people were born and raised in Libya. They had Libyan passports. They were members of the army. We never saw any mercenaries in Libya brought in by anybody from the Gaddafi or the, the legitimate government. We did, however, see 250,000 mercenaries come in under the banner of al-Qaeda Ansar al Sharri, and the rest of them. And, and NATO, they were the NATO mercenaries and uh what they did is they they systematically tried to destroy all the black tribes and the villages in libya and uh the 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 southern part of Libya near Sabah that was uh mostly uh dark skinned people, and NATO went so far as to blow up twenty thousand palm trees trying to kill those people there. Oh. There were more fortes into Libya during the NATO invasion than there were in all of World War two 60,000 bombing raids and uh the the thing that they did is is indiscriminately uh when they went into a village that that uh they wanted to annihilate everybody there they killed men, women and children or they put them in in torture centers and uh they would they would uh put people in cages and they would feed them nothing or make them uh they were feeding him body parts of other uh, dead humans. These kinds of atrocities. That that uh, where are the health organizations? Where are the uh, humanity organizations that should be in protecting those people? Because as you know, this war was started to protect the innocent people. And uh, the the thing that is is un- impossible for us to understand is how these bloodthirsty psychopaths were ever under the employment of the UN and NATO and especially directed by this administration where we have for the first time had a very large instance of, of uh uh black people and dark skinned people in the control in this government. How could they go along with this? And then the thing that, that we also saw were mass graves where there were hundreds and hundreds of black soldiers that were killed and dumped in the graves, didn't even have decency to bury them. Other things that they've done is, is in the prisons. They have killed so many, tortured so many people to death that they don't want to carry them out of the prisons and let everybody know how many have been killed, so they leave them inside the prisons. It rots. There are thousands of bodies inside these prisons, 10,000 in Misrata prison alone. You know, these things are un- impossible for us to understand. And, you know, when 30% of that entire population or more was black, how anyone could try to annihilate, thats we're talking about 1.7 million human beings out of a total of 5.5 million Libyans, 1.7 million of them were dark-skinned. And uh, for NATO and UN and these organizations, are supposed to be protecting civilians. To allow that is absolutely
0: unacceptable. Dr. Leroy? Hello? Are you there?
3: I don't know if I lost you or not. Hello?
0: Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I I was going to speak for a minute. This is Joanne. I wanted to say what we witnessed happening to these people in Libya uh, was where they were war crimes. They were crimes against humanity. And... Mm there what's happening now and this continues on because the the people who uh nato joined hands with to take over this country were a very small percentage of libyans libyans in general were happy they lived in their country they were uh they were well taken care of when a libyan got married they got uh gifted money they were given free housing or excuse me free medical free uh education they had good lives. They were also given a house when they got married for ten percent of their salary for twenty years, and then their house—the house belonged to them. They were given a, a wage, a higher wage than anywhere in Africa or anywhere in China or even India. If they were hungry, they could go to food, huge food stores if they needed food. The security mm. in the country was was incredible. They did, i think the whole time we were there before the war, we maybe saw three policemen in a two million city of, of Tripoli. Mm. They just. They did not have um, crime, like you would think. People could walk on the street any time. Women were never touched, ever. And if a woman was touched, that person was in big trouble, and he either had to leave the country or he was going to be in prison probably the rest of his life. Now women are raped on a daily basis because these al-Qaeda have taken over the country. The 5% of the radicals that Libya sends to Afghanistan and other places to fight our soldiers joined hands with Nate to come back in and take over this country. And they are now running this country, and there is no government, really, to speak of. There is no security of any kind. That's why two million are in exile. But the thing that's happening to the Terwega people is what I'd like to tell you about. That small town that's 25 miles south of Misrata, during the war, they're, they're uh, all dark-skinned people. They were left over from the, the slave trading in the 1800s, and they settled there. Uh, during the 1900s and stayed there. The Italians who were in control of Libya at that time treated them terribly. They were treated as second-class citizens. Then the old king came, the king that they put in, that England put in to run Libya, he treated them just as bad. He treated all the Libyans bad. But when Gaddafi took over, when when he had his revolution, he treated them as equals, and he educated them and gave them their land, and he gave them positions in the government. He had huge respect. Gaddafi did for all of African people you know he called himself an African not an Arab mm. this is one of mm. the reasons that these rebels are so angry at the black people they think Gaddafi especially liked them so they're killing them more this mm. is this is insane behavior but the Tuareg people were, were thrown out of their home they were not only thrown out but the homes are being burned systematically by the Misrata tribes and they're told they have no home and they will never have a home in Libya many of them have been killed this is a this is a genocide of these people, and this needs to be pointed out. It really does. This is a serious serious matter.
2: Uh, just just go back, Joanne. Just go back over the some of the uh, the list of benefits that the Libyan people were enjoying in general that the people in the West do not know. People in America don't know.
3: Well, let me do that. I've got a list. I'll I'll try to remember all of them. First of all. The Libyans never owned their land prior to the time, that the bloodless coup that put Gaddafi in office. They had been occupied for 8,000 years. After World War II, uh, prior to World War II, the Italians were the latest occupiers, and then stepped in there, and this, and this King Idris, who was a pedophile, sorry human being, average salary in Libya at the time was about $50 a year, and nobody owned their land. Doesn't make any difference what color they were. They were slaves for all practical purposes. So the bloodless coup happened, the first thing Gaddafi did is gave everybody the land that they had been working. The second thing he did was he emancipated women. They didn't have to wear burqas. They were they were allowed to do whatever they wanted, basically. They drove their own cars, they owned their own businesses, they were teachers, they were doctors, they were in high positions in government. Uh, the next thing, when people got married the day they got married, the government gifted them $46,000 in cash to help them start their lives. Wow. Their first car cost them half a dealer invoice. Their home, which, would, which the government was building, brand new ones 6, 600,000 condominiums all over Libya, 2,000 square feet to 2,700 square feet in size, brand new. You paid 10% of your salary for 20 years, and you got the title to your home. In addition to that, all your utilities were paid, water, electricity, natural gas, sewer, et uh, uh If you were hungry, if you didn't have enough money for food, they had warehouses all over. You went up there, and they gave you 50 kilos of rice, 50 kilos of flour, 20 kilos of, of cheese, uh, 20 kilos of powdered milk, enough food, uh, pardon me, enough money to buy an animal. And that was – you didn't have to fill out a form or anything. You went to one of those warehouses and said, my family's hungry. During Ramadan, every person in Libya could go to any bank, and they got a gift of 500 dinar, which was about $450. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Health care, paid for 100%, and if you couldn't get the health care in Libya – they paid for you to go anywhere in the world to get the health care. They paid not only your medical costs, but your travel costs and all the costs for a family member to travel with you. Education paid to whatever your brain would support, and it paid tuition, fees, books, etc. And if you studied outside of Libya, again, it paid all your travel and, and expenses and those of your family members. We knew a young man was getting his doctorate in, in England, He had a wife and four kids. His monthly stipend was 4,950 pounds, pardon me, a month. That's over
0: Mm.
3: $7,000. They had the highest literacy in the world, 97% Mm. literacy in men, 85% literacy in women. Mm. The World Health Organization declared Libya to have the finest prenatal and postnatal care of any country in the world. Libby had 100% inoculation of all newborns. They Mm. had the highest average salary in Africa, which was $15,800 a year, which was a higher wage than India or China. Mm. If you got got your college degree and you couldn't get a job, the government paid you $15,200 a year until you um, found work. There was never any reason for the people of Libya to have a revolution because they were happy. Mm. Those people, and and since the treaties were signed in 2006, Libya was again beginning to develop. It was a very, very rich country. Libya only spent about half of the money it took in from its oil and gas uh, uh, reservoirs because not much of a population, 5.5 million people were the total population of Libya. And they had about five percent radical Islamists that lived in the northeast section, and those guys were were nuts, and they were a constant problem for the Libyans. And Gaddafi did not like uh, radical Islamists. He did not allow the the portion of the Koran that was added, where where all the, the the infidels were to be killed, and all that that was added by Ayatollah Khomeini. A long time ago, Gaddafi would not allow that to be taught in, the, in Libya because he said the Koran is the, is the word of the prophet, and no, new, no modern man has the right to add to it. Right. For that reason, Gaddafi, there was a fatwa put out on him that lasted 20 or 30 years. The, the radical said he was not a true Muslim. So, you know, the the things in this part of the world, we never knew the truth about Libya. It was a closed society. It was a tribal community. And they Mm. really didn't care much about what went on outside of Libya. Mm. And during this whole war, the Libyans were such good-hearted and and non-confrontational people. They're really innocent. They said that the truth and their God would take them through this war uh, winners. And mm. Joanne and I were telling that you've got the Western media fighting you. The whole mm. world thinks you're a bunch of terrorists. You're going to have to start fighting on the same basis as these as the Western world is. And they said, we'll never do that. Mm. That's mm. Libya. Mm. That's not what we heard, is it? Mm,
2: mm, mm. Ladies and gentlemen, our guests online are two eyewitnesses to Libya before the invasion by NATO and the mercenaries during that time and after, and they are with us for approximately another half hour. We will have them, the good Lord willing, again tomorrow on Harlem Community Radio, and that's www.whcr.org. That will be at 1 p.m. New York time. But in the meantime, we have some announcements from The supporters of the Keys 107 Network, their commercials, we want you to pay very close attention. And after that, you'll have the opportunity of hearing a little bit more of their dialogue on Libya. You'll also have the opportunity to call in 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone pad that lets our engineer knows that you have a question to ask, and because of time, you'll make the question as uh, to the point as you possibly can. And after the break, we'll get into more of what they saw and how they, in fact, were able to escape out of Libya. So we have announcements coming up. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: 631-399-0149. That's 631 149 The Fluffs present the alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, so and accessories, and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop.
2: Thank you for your support of WHCR As we indicated Please pay very close attention To the commercials you hear Support those who support the network The unique information that you get Each week And once again we're back with Jimmy and Joanne The question That uh, We have is Even though we, we, We know how American media works We heard so much of People being embedded with the rebel forces, and I'm quoting rebel forces um giving reports from the field, et cetera et cetera et cetera, and all of a sudden, after the killing of Gaddafi and the take over of the oil interest there in Libya, we now hear nothing at all from media and what what has been your reaction to? what you have seen in terms of the machinations of american media
3: well it's obviously it's agenda driven and uh in libya they never told the truth uh all the news reporters there would see one thing and report exactly the opposite and it was so bad that the libyan people were asking Joanne and myself to come out and interview them we're not we're business people we're not reporters and they asked us to come out and interview them because they didn't trust the media. But, but the truth is, with our own eyes, we saw U.S. military embedded with the al-Qaeda mercenaries, with the NATO mercenaries. And oh, understand yeah.
0: this. French
3: and, French. and Yeah, we saw French and a lot of cutter troops and everybody. But the truth is, there were not enough Libyans willing to fight against the government, so they had to bring in all these mercenaries. And the only way this war was won by NATO is they bombed the hell out of the country. Can you imagine more sorties in Libya than in World War II? You know, that that's a telling story. The only way they advanced was to kill all the Libyans.
0: They and they
3: did, they did kill. They
0: blew up water?
3: They killed 500,000 Libyans in this war. They blew up water treatment plants and power plants and embargoed fuel and... and Medicines. Every, every violation of, of the Geneva Convention was committed by NATO, and the NATO is directed from this, from this country here. And the, the fact that there were no embedded troops, that's absolutely not true. We saw a C-130 full of Marines land in, in Ras Lanouf, which is the big oil port. It was blown up when it hit the ground. All the Marines were killed. Wait a, minute, wait a minute.
2: Wait a minute.
3: Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Go back. There was a, a C 130 troop carrier.
0: Towards the end.
3: That landed in Ras Lanouf, which is the big oil port in Libya. When it landed, it was hit with a rocket and blown up, and every person made, on board was killed. It
0: made Libyan TV all over Libya.
3: And not one report was made here. Now, there's a there's Alex Jones has a you know, he's a he's a gravel talking guy, but he has a military man that that processes the bodies of our soldiers. And this man testified on on his show that uh, he was receiving lots and lots of military bodies. And he was having to say they came from Afghanistan or someplace else, but he said the tags on them indicated they were coming from Libya.
2: That's terrible.
3: So yeah. it, it's happened and it's been covered up. And, you know, the thing is, all of us, I'm talking about us good God-fearing people, had better better start joining hands. We better forget about race, creed, and color, and we better look at who the real devil is, who's destroying our lives. We better join hands and try to make this world a better place because, uh, you know, our lives are being destroyed Joanne and I have been threatened not only by al-Qaeda, they've told us they know our address and they're they're going to be at our front door one day, but also by our government. We've had intelligence agencies that came in here and debriefed us because they don't know anything that's going on in Libya now, and they come to our home regularly. We don't mind that. We give them all the information we have, but they've told us we're in more danger from the government here than we were ever in the hands of al-Qaeda. And that came from U.S. intelligence agencies. There are four of them that are debriefing us. I want to get into how we got back to Libya and why we were captured, because we had had booked a whole lot of business in Libya. We were very successful in what we did, and we were invited. Joanne and I were invited to come in and head a non-governmental organization fact-finding commission in April. We went in there in May, and we actually got trapped inside Tripoli and couldn't get back out because of all the NATO bombings on the road. You had to go in by car, and it was a long drive from Tunisia into Tripoli. In the end, after after NATO overran Tripoli, and incidentally, in the first uh, four or five hours, there were three U.S. uh, Apache gunships that flew into Tripoli from the Mediterranean, and they killed every man, woman, child on the street. They killed 1,300 people and injured about 5,000 in the first few hours of that attack on Tripoli itself. And when when the city was finally overrun, uh, we were trying to get out of there. And uh, the there was a rescue ship that was coming in from Malta, and we were trying to get to that rescue ship. And we were going up and down the coast road trying to find this rescue ship. We didn't know that the rebels and NATO would not let that rescue ship come into port. And finally, after hours and hours, up and down this road, every hundred yards, we're stopped by these bunch of of cutthroat al-Qaeda types, shooting guns in the air, al Agbar all the time. And the driver said that we were reporters. So that was okay. They liked all the reporters. They then didn't know who we were. When we got to the port the second time, looking for that ship, we were held in the port about an hour, and then about 30 carloads of these armed gangs came in, circled us, pointed their guns at us, and said, We know who you are. Your game is up. And they took We had been turned in by a spy, a U.S. attorney spy that uh, lives with with, uh, Hezbollah and, and plays all sides of the fence, and because we had found him out, he needed to have us killed so it wouldn't blow his cover. And they had a list with our names on it. They took us back to their torture center, and uh, we didn't realize it. long long time later they, they had a, a British film crew came in and interviewed each one of us individually. Are you okay? Have you been treated well, et cetera? And, and then they had a kangaroo court, and this big, tall, bald-headed, bearded, fat imam came in and looked down his nose at all of us. And he said in Arabic, which neither Joanne or I speak Arabic, looked down his nose and said, kill them when they tried to escape, kill them, chop them up, and burn them, and blame it on Gaddafi. We didn't hear that. And so we were adamant about going to the rescue ship. We knew it was east, back towards Benghazi. And the driver of of the bus, of the van we were in, they changed drivers, and the driver that came over was the IT guy from the hotel we were in. And for some reason, this has to be the hand of God helping us. He didn't like Because he didn't like us. He stepped in there, and he said, "He said this van is not going to the rescue ship. It's going back to the hotel. And I said, my wife and I have had enough of Libya. We need to get out of here. And he said, he took us over to the side and he said, what you didn't hear the imam say is that when you went to the rescue ship, you're to be killed, chopped up, and burned, and blamed it on Gaddafi. And he said, they've set up a kill zone two blocks east of the location, and I said, You know what? We need to go back west. And uh, he said, Now you've got to pay the mercenaries because they're going to be paid to kill you and chop you up 2,500 dinar each, plus another thousand to, to burn us. I had $19,800 left, which was just a slightly more money than, than they would have been paid to kill the seven of us. So I was able to buy our freedom then for seven people. Joanne and myself, and five others. There was a Bahraini prince, the the sister of the president of Mauritania, uh, a well from Texas, and then a, a German FIFA coach, and this Filipino woman that had worked at the hotel for 20 years. So that was the seven of us. The next thing that happened, see, we we got out of their hands that minute, but we were still in Libya, so they're going to have another shot at catching us and being paid again, they thought. Second thing, God shined on us, and... Uh, put us on an IOM rescue ship, a guy that was also a rebel, felt sorry for us, and took us under his wing, carried us to this rescue ship in an IOM van, got us on that ship, immigration ship, before the rebels even knew we, we were out of the country. And then we were on this two-day, terrible, terrible, worst boat ride you can imagine, That the heat of August, Mediterranean... Uh, weather, no air conditioning, no curtains. It was a car carrier. They had some hot water, some out-of-date juice, and some moldy bread. And, of course, if you drank the juice, then immediately you had to go to the bathroom. There were only two bathrooms on the ship for about 300 people. Everybody was sick. And it took two full days to get to Benghazi. We were very scared about that because NATO and the mercenaries, all the al-Qaeda type, their headquarter was in Benghazi. Well, when we arrived in Benghazi, it turns out that all the bad guys had gone to Tripoli to kill everybody over there, so Benghazi was relatively uh, free. And the the IOM man, instead of putting us on buses to go to a refugee camp on the border with Egypt, he took us inside a very nice hotel there in in Benghazi, and uh, uh, that was a second event. IOM ship and then getting deposited in that hotel rather than than, uh, going to Egypt. The third miracle was the number three man in the the NTC, which was the National Transitional Council, the political arm of these rats, NATO and all of them, very well-educated guy. He came into the hotel. He talked to us, very well-spoken, felt sorry for us. This was during Ramadan. None of us had had anything to eat for four days and he bought us dinner that night at their breakfast and then arranged for us to get on an airplane that night to Tunisia so uh they they didn't know that you know the rebels did not know yet who we were in Benghazi but god turned that man's heart to put us on that plane and got us out of out of libya absolutely three miracles got us out of there alive
0: mm.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the telephone number, 213-943-3618. Hit 1 on your telephone pad if you have a question. We don't have that much more time, but this is the first that we're blessed to have with Jimmy and Joanne. We intend to have other interviews, the good Lord willing, tomorrow, Sunday at 1 p.m. on Harlem Community Radio www.whcr.org. That's 1 o'clock New York time. Gaddafi was saying, and they were making mockery of him in the news broadcast, he said that uh, he was quoted as saying, I'm being attacked by the al-Qaeda. What is your understanding of this al-Qaeda umbrella name and what is your understanding of where this quarter of a million mercenaries came from?
3: They came from from Yemen, from uh, uh, Niger, from Afghanistan, Egypt, all over. And Al Qaeda, uh, the the intelligence agencies that came to our home said there's only 75 Al Qaeda members in the world, but there's some millions with other names, like Ansar al-Sharia, and Libyan Fighting Front, and this and that. They change names, add names all the time, and they do that to confuse. Not only that, but they change their own names every day. And so, you know, to play this word game to say that al-Qaeda's dead is a travesty, because the radical Islamists are alive and well, and they're killing everybody that they want to. So, you know, this, the fact... In fact, let me tell you something else. When we were giving this critical information about movements of these bad guys in Libya and North Africa that we get from the tribal leaders who are in exile, there's two million Libyans in exile. And they give us information, and we're trying to give it to people in this government. Nobody wants to hear it. Finally, they started debriefing us, and we're giving them information, and they came back and they said, well, you know, your information is being discounted because you're using the term Al-Qaeda. And I said, what do you want me to call them? Well, you have to call them radical Islamists or, or whatever. And I said, you mean you're going to discount what we said over a semantics question? One thing we told them is there, was a, there are two big training camps in Libya where al-Qaeda or all these other radicals are bringing people in from all over the world and training them in Libya because al-Qaeda and the al-Qaeda associate companies or entities own Libya. And they, they, uh, Libya had $450 billion in cash and cash equivalents before the war. All that money's disappeared. So now then, al-Qaeda, or whatever name you want to call them, is well-funded. They, they own a country. They're producing oil every day. They have the money and the resources to take over the world by terrorism. And they move across North, North Africa, Africa at, at their will. Because they own it. They're armed. Nobody else is armed. They're terrorists. They're killing whoever doesn't agree with them. There is absolute anarchy in Libya now. And you drive your car down the street, they're going to stop you, and if they want your car, they'll take your car. If they like the looks of your wife, they'll take your wife. Rape her, probably kill her. And this happens constantly. It's not something that happens rarely now. It happens all the time. Libya is destroyed, and it's in total anarchy now.
2: Now, uh, real quick the water he was Gaddafi was doing revolutionary things in terms of uh bringing uh fresh water to to uh various parts of the libyan libyan uh land uh what's your understanding on that
0: this is joanne dr leroy um The Great Man-Made River was going to be like the eighth wonder of the world. What he was doing was incredible, and he'd already finished quite a bit of it. There was water going to all parts of Libya. In fact, I think most of the water in Tripoli, a lot of the water all around, came from the Great Man-Made River. NATO bombed the Great Man-Made River. A lot of it has been destroyed, which is just as far as I can see, it's another complete atrocity it's just like a scar on the earth now how do you how do you do how do you bomb somebody's water supply but uh gaddafi had a dream he had a dream for africa he had a dream for libya but his dream for africa he wanted to see africa join together his that was always his dream he did so many first world activities in africa that people never talk about how much money he gave to countries that needed? It. He gave free gas. He gave agricultural equipment. He brought in a lot of uh, workers. Cement, Cement plant. He brought in workers if they needed work. He let the ter- Turegs, which are the the native tribes in the desert in the Sahara, they they roam around. They're Bedouins, you know. And he let them come into Libya any time if they needed anything. He supplied it for them. His love was Africa, and his dream was Africa. That's what he wanted, and it's nobody knows. How how bad it is that that he was destroyed. Really, all of Africa is crying over this. I'm sure because they know.
2: There is the constant. <clears throat> pardon me on the on the conservative, so-called conservative station. I call them right-wing stations here in New York about the the uh, ambassador who was killed by the Libyans. What is your understanding surrounding his role in Libya?
3: He was he was the gunrunner to runners. the rebels before the revolution started. He he was the gunrunner to the rebels in Syria after he became ambassador, and uh, you know he he was he was the fire he was the arms dealer. And all the arms went through Qatar and delivered to the rebels on the east side of of Libya. And now then they're delivering them into Syria, the same thing. And uh, the reason he was killed, and the reason we know this information is the uh, Libyan tribes have people inside all these organizations listening and watching them. And we're the official spokespeople for the tribes of Libya, which means the Libyan people, because they don't trust any foreigners except us. And that's because we were there during their tough times. But there were people that overheard the conversation in Benghazi. He had dinner with the ambassador from Turkey that night, and he was asking for Turkey to help them help the US get back the twenty thousand man panned rockets that had been delivered to Al Qaeda and the mercenaries in Libya and were never used. And the dangerous part about those is all these rockets were made in the United States, and the United States can't have them being used to shoot down airplanes and and other things because then it'll make the u s look real bad so hmm. he was one, he was he was trying to entice the Turkish uh, government to get these weapons but these twenty thousand rockets back and the Turkish ambassador told him to pound sand basically he walked out of the front door of that uh, the CIA uh, uh, conference, Never anything but a CIA compound. The Turkish ambassador walked out the front door, immediately went to the air base, was put on a military plane. When his plane touched down in Turkey, the fighting started. Hmm. And he was killed about an hour after the fighting started. They really had planned to take him alive and were going to trade him for some detainees in in
0: Guantanamo. But uh, uh,
3: they were afraid that the Marines would be there any minute because there were armed drones flying around in that area uh, all the time. And so when they attacked, they attacked expecting retaliation to happen immediately, and it just never
0: happened. Mm. But we had, you know, we were given information immediately. Please, please tell your people, you know, these people are hiding in this hospital in Benghazi. The assassins. The assassins we- are are hiding there, and and then it would be uh, day would go by, or some hours would go by, and they said, now it's time. Please tell them they've shaved off their beards and put on Western clothes and are moving towards Cairo, in in certain kinds of vehicles. But you know, when you we're not intelligence people, we're just we're, we're just business people who who've been thrown into this thing in the middle of it. But we have. We're human beings, and we can't – who could stand by and watch these kind of atrocities happen in front of your own eyes? Sure. If you don't speak out, then you're as bad as the people who are doing them, I think. I really do believe that. So this, for us, we're going to speak out. We're going to talk about uh, the genocide that's going on in Libya and and how many uh, races are being killed there. And, and the thing about what happened to the ambassador, too, there's a man – he was running the military? Actually, the, U- the U.S. joined hands with him. His name is abdul Hakim Belhaj. Belhaj was in Guantanamo. He's well known to the CIA. He's been captured by him a couple times. He was put in charge there of the of the military. When the ambassador was killed, he made a formal statement on the radio in Tripoli, and what he said was, "This is what it will happen to people who bring other nations who bring anything into Libya. Libya belongs to our group." Our, he didn't say al-Qaeda, but it's his Islamic fighting group. He, he said, I've been in it all my life. I know it, and I know all the people, and we bo- we own this country now. You're not welcome here. Uh, we have we weapons, have of, weapons mass. of mass destruction. We will use them. We're not afraid to use them. So don't bring your, your governments here. Don't bring anybody here. We own this country. And he put that formally out in Tripoli uh, the Who day after can- the ambassador was killed.
2: Who controls the oil?
0: well that cutter cutter signed an agreement to to sell most of the oil right now um, I'm not real sure exactly who's controlling the oil. Uh, there is some government officials there I'm not sure the government gets any of that money
3: the the um, uh, oil is they, their production is way down, but it's still about a million to a million two barrels a day of oil, and they produce more gas by dollar volume than they do oil. And what's what's happened is about twenty-seven dollars of every barrel is going into a special account in Switzerland for the the government officials in Libya. Uh, about thirty dollars of a, of every barrel goes to Qatar, and the rest of it, of course, is is uh, divided up someplace else. Not any money is going back into Libya. The schools and hospitals and everything are barely operating and uh there's the oil flow, like one time there was a group of marines and some and some special forces from England that were going to go in there and protect the flow of oil out of the country. But I think that the radicals have so much control that uh they're not there's not any foreign entity in Libya that's comfortable, and most of the most of the embassies have all their personnel have been moved out because it's like the West was in the United States in the old days when the gangs would roll into town and kill everybody or rape everybody, rob the bank, and run back out. That's Libya. But the of Libya put
0: their hands
3: and the tribes of Libya, they know that to clean up this problem, it's going to have to be done internally because there's no foreign entity that's going to be able to go into to uh, Muslim uh, uh, mosques and in Muslim organizations and fight them because that would be seen as war between religions. And what the Muslim tribes have said is, I mean, pardon me, the Libyan tribes have said that they will put their hand out. As long as the United States will quit supporting the radicals, they will go in, they will clean out all these radicals in Libya, and then they will go country by country and join hands with the tribes in the other countries and get rid of all the radicals and clean up the Muslim religion. That's never been responded to.
2: Explain to us the tribes of Libya.
3: Everybody in Libya is a member of a tribe. Ninety-eight percent, at least, of all Libyans are members of tribes. It's a tribal society, has been for thousands of years. And um, every tribe is is a democratic unit in itself. And each tribe has, has tribal leaders, and then they elect a, a supreme leader for each tribe. And then all the tribes have 200 members in the general secretariat, and there's 40 uh, Tribal leaders selected out of that bunch, which are the regional leaders, and then there's a select committee of six, and then there's one supreme leader. So they have a complete organization. And not only that, but the tribes of Libya have written a new constitution that allows everybody in Libya to vote. That was finished about uh, four days before NATO invaded Tripoli, we think, because they didn't want that constitution to come out. But Libya is a tribal society, just like Afghanistan and all these other countries. And until we, modern people, go back and understand that you have to work within those cultures. And uh, the tribes of Libya, they're very honorable people. They're non-confrontational. They do not want to fight for any reason, I promise you. We've been there for, for, we know them for seven or eight years. Couldn't get them to get get in a fight over a car wreck.
0: they would they tell you themselves that their culture, uh, we got to speak, actually, we got to speak to the head of the Al-Fatih University, the faculty there, and, you know, they told us that what what needs to happen and what people need to understand is this culture. The Libyan culture is not mature enough for Western democracy at this point. So they, we need to go into those countries and understand those countries before we decide that they have to be exactly like us. Mm. You know, it's... They're, they have a different way of looking at the world than we do. They have a different culture than we do. You know, the tribes are are very tight, very close to each other. They all uh, work together, and they're uh, the shadow government in Libya behind oh. the the people's I, con. I
2: yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, no, I'm not I'm not cutting you off. I'm, 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 it's just coming to me because of the. The tribal aspect of the Libyan um, country, and, and, and that reflects back to when the Europeans came in and divvied up the country. They cut across tribal lines.
0: Yes, yes, yes that's right. Across
2: tribal lines, so that the uh, individuals would would be played one against the other.
0: The, that's right.
2: Um, the mm-hmm. the um, now now Gaddafi was involved with something relating to gold. And um, Blair and Rothschild. One of the Rothschilds was involved in it.
3: And that was it, yeah. That was that was the African bank. And Gaddafi put forward the the proposal to cause a gold-backed dinar for the continent of Africa. It had nothing to do with the Rothschilds. This was this was going to be a purely African deal. And a gold backed international currency would have killed the paper bankers. Federal Reserve, Euroclear, all the Rothschild group would have been destroyed because they're fiat bankers, they're paper bankers. And the main reason Libya was overthrown and Libya was destroyed was to kill the African bank. Because I'm telling you, a gold backed currency would destroy these paper bankers. But, you know, it, it, the the lie that you hear in the media is it was something else. It was about, a well, no, no, no. AFRICOM was another reason the U.S. is bound to determine it, to have military control of Africa to keep all those resources away from China. And then the story about Lockerbie, that was not true. We've, we've since seen all the testimony. The U.S. paid witnesses $4 million apiece to lie about Lockerbie. That was a CIA deal that blew up that plane. All these things blend together, but the plan to destroy Libya was done before the treaty of two thousand and six. Mm. Because they could not allow the African bank to move forward. Go back to Dennis Kucinich. He he had a, a a report that he gave in in March about the the uh war games that were perpetrated between England, France and the United States to attack a a uh uh, dictatorship, oil rich dictatorship in northern Africa. It was going to start on the sixteenth of March. There was going to be eleven ships in the Mediterranean. They were going to do a no fly zone first, etc. It just happened a month earlier than they had planned. But that was done in two thousand and ten. So the Arab Spring was all phony. That was all made up in order hmm. to take over Africa I mean, take over Libya because that was the strongest country in Africa. But you know you've got to you've got to look at who the beast is, and I'm telling you, Joanne and I are being we have been destroyed. Not only has our business been destroyed, but the intelligence agencies have told us that we're victims of a soft attack. They've destroyed our business. They've destroyed our finances. They they have made it. We've been blacklisted where we we nobody will talk to us about a job or anything. Wow. We're victims. Absolutely sitting in here in our home. We're captive. We can't. We can't leave from our home.
2: Ahead.
3: So it's a real danger for us. What we did is we. The last asset we had was a was a very rare old antique car, and I'm I'm trying to raffle that thing off uh, for tickets of ten dollars a piece. If you if your folks would like to help us, I'd sure appreciate it. It's AITNV.com. dot com. And uh we're only selling three thousand tickets. I know that's a crash commercial, but uh we really need the help, you know, just to pay rent and, and uh keep the phones working and, and uh we used to be very, very productive business people, but we like uh, to
0: be again. yeah,
3: we want to be again, but uh you know the the sad fact is uh we joined the wrong side. We were trying to defend the good people of Libya. And right. uh we couldn't have done that. We should have kept our mouth shut and gathered a whole bunch of money in and and let these people be killed, but that's not our that's not our character. And uh, I'm telling you, we all need to join together. We need to look at these things real hard, and look Man. at the truth. Did you get Jimmy,
2: that? Jimmy and Joe. I'm, jo- I'm sorry, Joanne. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I cut somebody off, Jimmy or Joanne. Who was who did I cut off?
0: No, no, it was me. It's okay. I was asking you if you received those videos and those pictures I sent you today.
2: Yes, yes I did, and I haven't gotten a chance to go through them, but by the time we engage tomorrow, uh I will have also okay. I want you to want you, uh Jimmy to give the location where people can connect with you that that uh, raffle uh or the opportunity to, to help you out. I'll put it that way as opposed to saying a raffle.
3: Okay, it's w w Dot
2: com. Give it again.
3: A I T T like Tom N V for Nevada dot com. A I T N V dot com. That's our nonprofit organization. It stands oh. for Avalon International Trusteeship, Those three letters and then N V for Nevada. So A I T N V dot com.
2: Very good. And, and God uh, bless
3: you. All we want to thank you so much for inviting us. We we plan on having another good discussion with you all. We're a, a, able to answer any questions anyone has. And uh you know, we, we all need to join hands. God blessed us and got us out of Libya live. He has a purpose for us. We think it's for us to tell our story and try to help the world know what these what the bad guys are doing, what happened to Libya could happen uh to some other place. For the same kinds of of wrong reasons And we know that U.S. citizens are not wrong-footed But a lot of politicians are
2: Well, Jimmy and Joanne, I want to thank you both God has spared you for reasons even greater than this That's the way the universe goes And uh, that's the history of people who take risks Or stand up for what is right Our prayers go out for you and your family for your protection from the Almighty And we look forward to Having you tomorrow on Harlem Community Radio And um, we just we just, Hey, thank you And thanks uh, to Reverend uh, Dr. Randy Short For introducing us to you And setting up this interview Once again, thank you both God bless you with a beautiful evening Thank,
3: thank you. you, God, God bless, bless you, you all too. Thank you so much
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Keys 107 Network, the communicator segment. Tell your friends and relatives about this broadcast tonight. They should go into the archives, go to Keys 107 Network, go into the archives, and retrieve this interview. Remember, the only way the information is going to get out is by you sharing it with others, as many others as you possibly can. God bless you all.
1: to the communicators on the Keys 107 Network with your host, Brother Leroy, on Blog Talk Radio.
0: Keys
2: 107
1: and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, the Final Call follows in the tradition of Muhammad's Speaks with hard hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the Final Call to Islam. can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read FinalCall.com.